Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Sridhar, and I'm one of the interim co-lead pastors here. And to those who are here in person, it's great to have you. For those joining us uh, online at home, it's a pleasure to be able to worship together as God's people. One of the things I struggle with, or I really hate, is the feeling of powerlessness. I don't know if you have the same experience in your life. One time as a kid, I had, there was a kid in my neighborhood, kind of like the local bully, lived down the street from me. I remember one time he walked by me and he was just walking and he was throwing racial slurs in my direction. I remember in that moment feeling terrified. I was a scrawny, small little kid. There's no way I could defend myself, but if he did anything to me in that moment, there was nothing I could do. You know, just that feeling when you have no other out, just that sense of powerlessness leads to hopelessness. And I'm sure many of us here in this room can experience have experienced that same sort of feeling of powerlessness in your own life. Whether that be in your family situations with a parent, a, a toxic work environment, a coworker, your boss, a teacher, or maybe just even from society in general. Today, as we are examining this, the book of Esther and seeing God's word here, I'm sure the people, who, the Jewish people who were in exile for about 100 years would have felt the same sense of powerlessness. You know, once upon a time, the people of Israel were this great nation. God brought them out of Egypt and gave them this promised land. He raised them up to prominence under King David and King Solomon. They were known throughout the world as this great empire. Yet then they turned away from the Lord, and the Babylonian armies came and took them away. You know, once upon a time, they worshipped in their temple, uh, but now living in Babylon and and then under, under Persian rule, They had no control of their worship, no control of their diet. They would have been forced to use a foreign language to communicate. Simply put, they were colonized. And after the Babylonians had colonized them, I'm sure they had hoped that one day God would rescue them and bring them back to their promised land. Yet then the Persians came and overtook the Babylonians. And about 100 years after that point is where we get to the story today in scripture from the book of Esther. You know, they would have heard these great stories about who their God was and the amazing things he had done. But I'm sure they were wondering, God, where are you? Where are you in this moment? Quite frankly, they and their parents, possibly even their grandparents, had no living memory of the promised land. But, and they had lived a hundred years away. And I'm sure that powerlessness was leading to a hopelessness. Today I pray and I hope that as we examine and dive into the book of Esther, so if you have your Bible, feel free to open up to Esther chapter 4, whether on your computer, on your device. If you're here in the room and you want to use the Pew Bible, you can turn to page 398. And I hope as we wrestle with this text today, we will see that even when we feel powerless, God is in control and calls us into his plan. 
Thanks for joining us. This is our second week in our series, Deep Roots. And the question we're asking during this time is, in a changing social landscape, how do we as Christians live as a faithful and creative minority? Usually what we love to do is read the text Esther 4 today, but let me actually open up just explaining the characters of the story and kind of an overview of the text before reading our passage for today. As you can see on the screen there, there's kind of four main characters in this story. The first is Mordecai. He is uh, Esther, Queen Esther's older cousin. He's almost more like an uncle figure. He's older. He takes her under his wing, and he's kind of her guardian. Next, we have Queen Esther, this beautiful woman who rises from obscurity to become the queen of the Persian Empire. Yet, she's told by her cousin Mordecai to do one thing. For your own safety and protection, hide your Jewish identity. The third character we have there is King Xerxes. He's the king of Persia. And if I were to write his tombstone plaque, I would say, this guy was a maniac, impulsive, and a bit of a drunk. Now, that's not how you want your tombstone to look, but if I was writing King Xerxes, that's what I would say. And the fact that he's rash and kind of out of control plays a big part in the story, as we will see. Finally, we have this gentleman named Haman. Haman was an Agagite. And if you have any clue what an Agagite is, I didn't until I had to do some homework for this series. And coming from the Amalekites, they are descendants of Canaanites, which are the ancient, uh, which would people who would have lived in the Promised Land before Israel arrived, and even during their time there, they would be a historic enemy of the Jewish people. Well, to situate the story in history, uh, those who love Sparta and all that history, King Xerxes is the one and went and fought uh, Sparta and the Greeks and finally broke through the Greek lines and defeated the Greek armies. This is about 100 years after the Babylonian exile. And here they come back and they throw a giant party. And that's where we find ourselves in Esther chapter 1. He throws a six-month party and for, you know, just my advice to you is don't throw a six-month party just for the sake of cost and cleanup. It is a, is a crazy thing to do. Yet at the end of six months, he steps out and says, ah, my beautiful Queen Vashti, come and show your beauty off to all the people who are here. He's, he's been drinking. You know, he, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy party. He wants everyone to see the beauty of his queen. Well, his queen refuses. And so his response, he throws her right out of the kingdom. In chapter 2, we have this search for a new queen. And somehow, by God's grace, by God's sovereignty, we see Queen Esther rise from obscurity to become the new queen of Persia. Yet no one knows she's a Jewish woman. In chapter 3, we have Haman, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. This man is rich, he has prominence, and he has influence. And somehow he dupes the king. He convinces the king that the Jewish people are his enemy. And so the king, in his rashness, while he's drinking, makes an edict that says what? May all the Jewish people be annihilated. And he makes it so that he cannot revoke that edict by stamping it with the signet ring. That's where we come today to our story in Esther chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. And Mordecai, Esther's cousin, finds out about this plot, and he informs Esther and tells her, go, please, I beg you, go speak to the king. Do anything for the sake of our people. Do something so that they may be saved. Our text today, I'm, let me pick up in Esther chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 9 to 16, and then we'll go from there. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, 
all the king's officials and the peoples of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the intercourt without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they will, put to death unless, they will be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. But who knows? But that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, as we are exploring what does it mean to be deeply rooted in you, Holy Spirit, we ask you today, come. Fill us up, point us to Jesus so we may glorify the Father. And Holy Spirit, give me your words and open our hearts and minds so that we can understand what your word says and what your word is calling us to as individuals and as the people here at First Alliance. And we pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. I think it's hard for us to imagine the powerlessness of the situation. I, you know, I, I think when I read the story, it's kind of like, Esther, King Xerxes is your husband. Just go, go talk to him. He's not going to kill you. And the rule of the day is you walked into the king's presence and he didn't extend that scepter, you were dead. Yet let's keep in mind, this king is a little off his rocker. This is, this is a guy who chops off the heads of the enemies he fights, the Greek uh, commanders of the army that he fought against. This is a man when he was upset with his queen for not showing up just to show off her beauty, he threw her out of the kingdom and conducted a year-long search to replace her. This is a man while he was drinking in kind of a rash, impulsive decision, decided to execute a genocide against the Jewish people on a whim. If I was Esther, I would have been terrified to go into the king's presence. What's she going to say? Even if he extended the scepter, she, she's like, uh, King Xerxes, you know those Jewish people that you were going to annihilate? Well, surprise, that's me. That can't go well for her. So in verse 13 and 14, we see Mordecai's response. And how does Mordecai encourage Esther? He simply tells her, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. How is this encouraging? I don't really think it is. But I think Mordecai is giving Esther 
the words she needs to hear. Mordecai is explaining two things and kind of two tensions that we see. He's wrestling with this tension of that God is sovereign and that he is overall, yet he wants to work through us. That God is sovereign and God calls us into his plan. You know, look at that story. What's the hope for Esther there? Is it that she'll be okay? No. It's actually that no matter what you do, Esther, God is going to save his people with you or without you. I definitely would not find those words too encouraging. But it shows the power of God. And that's something that's very important for us today. You know, in our culture that is, is turning more against Christianity, that sees Christianity as less significant or important in, in the cultural dialogue and narrative, it's easy for us Christians to feel, to shirk back and, and, and worry and wonder, is our time up? But here's the beauty. God is sovereign. And God is at work today. I think one of the things I, I see today is that we are not powerless because our God is in control. And that's really important. We are not powerless because our God is in control. So although the, the fa this fabric of our society is changing, it may not be as welcoming to Christians, we don't have to fear the September 20th election because God is in control and he is sovereign and over all. And if he has a plan to save his people, he will do it. We don't have to fear, you know, the public school sex ed curriculum. We don't have to fear the changing norms and ethics in our society. Why? Because God is sovereign and in control. Yet the gift that a sovereign God gives Esther, which is phenomenal. You think of God who's in control and over all and can do what he wants, but what does he say to Esther? And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Not only is God sovereign, God wants to work through his people. And that's huge. We are not powerless because God calls us into his plan. He invites Esther into his plan. He's like, Esther, maybe the reason you ended up as the queen of Persia in obscurity as, as a woman who hid your identity and rose to power is because I have a plan to use you to save my people. It delights my heart to know that God is over all, yet he cares so much about us that he includes us in his plans for his purpose, for his glory. You know, often in our lives we look at our circumstances and we, and we just kind of wonder, God, how did, I, how did this mess happen? Why is this happening to me? What on earth is going on? You know, some of us can say, like, like why do I, like, why am I been placed in this family? Why do I have this job or this coworker who's so challenging and so difficult? Why is my parent or child going through such difficult times? What is this all about? In 2007, I had a chance, I was actually serving uh, as an international worker in East Asia, and I, had a ch and I was just praying and determining what I wanted to do next, and I felt God give me a real clear call to stay where I was. And as I, and as I followed that call, I remember it involved moving to a new city and being on a new team. And so as I entered to a new city and entered this new team, I learned all of a sudden that everything there kind of was falling apart. This is a difficult team to be a part of. Everyone, within like the first couple days, I realized that all the long-term staff were leaving and it would just be me there after a while. 
it was a new ministry, new people, new philosophy. I was just going through difficult things in my own life. And I found that year, 27, 2007, 2008, to be one of the most difficult years in ministry. I felt lonely. I was isolated. I was thousands of miles away from anyone who knew me. And it was just such a difficult time. I probably struggled with like a situational depression in that time. And I was just asking God, God, why am I here? What is going on? What is the purpose of this all? What is your plan in this? And if you fast forward two years to 2009, I was having the time of my life. Suddenly, I was loving ministry. I was loving the people. I had deep relationships and connectivity. I was learning the culture and language and serving with the underground church, part of mobilizing missions, uh, receiving teams there and sending them out to the least reached peoples in the world. And if it wasn't for those difficult times, if it wasn't for those challenging times, those times where I didn't know what was going on, but just tried my hardest to stay close to God, I wouldn't have got to that wonderful moment. And what I realized is God used those difficult times to draw me and prepare me for what was next. In the tensions of life, this is the joy we have. We serve a sovereign God, a God who is not shaken, a God who is not surprised. When COVID-19 struck, none of us expected this, but our God was not shaken. We serve a God who looks at each and every one of us here, each and every one of us at home, and says, I have a plan for you, and I want you to be a part of my plan. And he's inviting us to join with him where he has called us. So my word of encouragement to you as you wrestle with why is this tough? What is going on in this moment? Why do I have this job? Why is this stressful situation happening? I encourage you to turn back to a sovereign God who is inviting you into whatever he's doing. And sometimes it may take us years to see what he's up to. But I know he's up to something. Well, in the story of Esther, I just, Esther responds humbly to this call from Mordecai. And she gathers her people and they spend three days nights fasting and she just makes that attempt and she goes to the king. And I love this line. When this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it is against the law, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. The song we just sang, I just wrote down these lyrics. If this life I lose, I will follow you. And I think what allowed Esther to step into her moment was that she knew that God was in control, yet God was calling her to action, to be a part of his plan for his glory. I think what allowed Esther to step into that moment in history was knowing that God was sovereign and over all, yet had a plan for her to be a part of his great work of redemption for all the nations on earth for his glory. Well, in this book of Esther, and I just encourage you this week, if you have a chance to spend time just reading this 10-chapter book, it is just wonderful. Esther steps out, takes that risk. The king extends his scepter. Then she asks to host a couple parties just with the king and Haman, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Uh, by God's grace, it comes out that Haman uh, was the one who brought this plot forward. Haman is exposed. He is killed. And the king uh, works with Esther and Mordecai to find a solution to preserve and save the Jewish people. Now, one of the realities is when we go through dark times like Esther, we wonder where God is. And one of the ironies of the book of Esther 
Listen to this carefully. This book doesn't mention God one time. But I'm thankful to Sandy Wilson for this fact. The theme of Esther is God's sovereignty over all the nations of the world. I think that relates to our lives. When we go through dark times, we wonder, God, where are you? Where are you in this moment in history in Canada? Where are you in this moment in my life? And here's the thing. God isn't silent. Just like in the book of Esther, he may not be explicitly mentioned, but he's at work. He put Esther in that place for that time. He raised up Mordecai at that time for his job. He brought King Xerxes to the throne, a man who did not even fear him, but used him for his glory, for the preservation of his people. We are not powerless because God is in control. And we are not powerless because God calls us into his plan. So where do we go from here? Just a couple questions of application and then uh, encouragement for us to close off our time. My first question is simply, do we truly believe that God is sovereign? I mean, do we live our life like God is sovereign, like he's in charge, like he's got this? Do we apply for jobs like he's sovereign? Do we manage our money? Do we spend, give, save? Like he's the one in charge and he's got us? Do we make plans for the future knowing that our Lord is sovereign? Or, or do we even think through how this election will look? <laughs> because we know he is sovereign and overall. And as I think about sovereignty, I just pause to tell this quick story. You know, in the 1900s in China, was the Boxer Rebellion. Lots of missionaries went there. A lot of people preached the good news. And the good news went to China. And by the late 1940s, there was maybe one million followers of Jesus. Then communism set in, Chairman Mao. And people thought this was the end for Christianity. They thought Christianity was done. Christians were kicked out of the country. Christians were persecuted. Uh, no, one, no foreigners were allowed in. Uh, the, underground, the church had to go underground. Yet what happened? Amongst immense persecution, Amongst no opportunity, the church in China grew 50 to 100 times bigger. Why? Because God is sovereign. And he's sovereign in a way that allows us to put our hope in him and trust him. So my word of encouragement for us, if you fear what's happening in our country, if you worry about what's happening in our country, think about the other nations of the world that turned their backs on Jesus, but God said, listen, I'm going to make a way and make a powerful way and raise up this nation to worship me. We do not fear government's authority or people because God is in control. Second question for our application. Do we notice how God is at work? And this is a really big question. Do we notice how he's working in our daily lives? Sometimes it's easy to think, okay, God got me through school. He got me that job. He, you know, by his grace, we, we were able to rent this place when it wasn't affordable. But do we see him working in our daily life? Do we see how the little graces of uh, blessings of you know, bedtimes, and I'm, I'm, I'm a parent of a five, four, and two-year-old, so my mind is always in the young kid phase right now. 
but, but just thankful to the little things he gives us, the coffee, the graces, the, the friendships, the connectivity, the fact that a pandemic happened at this point in history where we at least had the internet in different ways to connect with each other. Do we notice, even in lockdown, how God has possibly shaped us, is working in our hearts, is transforming our families and preparing other people to accept him as, a, as their Lord and Savior? And my third question, are we paying attention to how God is preparing us to be a part of his plan? This is an interesting one. I think often in life we, we God, what's next for me? What's going on? But I think an interesting and important question, if you're wondering like, God, what's the, your plan and your purpose for my life? Is to look backwards. God, what experiences have you led me to? God, uh, what education do I have? Academic skills, what, what's my family situation? You know, and, and then even this question, what are the hurts and traumas that I've gone, to, gone through that you can use for your glory? That's no easy question to ask. As we look at that second and third point, do we notice how God is at work and are we paying attention to how God is preparing us to be a part of his plan? My encouragement to you is this happens when we are deeply rooted in Christ. When we spend time at his feet, when we spend time in scripture, when we spend time in prayer, in community, we are actually more rooted in Christ and we begin to notice how he is at work in every moment and we start paying attention to how he's preparing and calling us in to the next thing. This is why we love small groups. This is why our groups are community centered around scripture and prayer and the context of community because we believe in discipleship. This is one of the most important ways to grow. Scripture, prayer, and community calling us deeper into Christ. My encouragement for you is in your life, if, you, if there's another adult in your home and if there's responsibilities, trade off and give each other time with Jesus. Give each other time, like one person, you know, I'll do the cooking and you just go spend 10 minutes praying or 10 minutes just reading or listening to scripture and then trade off. And if you live on your own, I think a blessing is call a friend and connect with someone else and just invite that community into your life where you are going deeper into Jesus and learning and experiencing and listening to his voice in your daily life. Being rooted deeply in Christ is what will carry us as, a Cana as, as Canadians here in, uh, as in, in the face of a culture that may oppose and not like who we are and what we believe. The more firmly are we are rooted in Christ, the more gently and grace-filled we will respond and point others to Christ, even if they do not like what we believe. My final question here. And this is just one to examine. I think this is, I invite our small groups or different communities to think through this question. Where has God strategically placed you? Ask yourself this question, where do you have influence? Some of you say, may say, I don't have any influence. I, there's no one who like listens to me. I'm not like a pastor or a CEO or I have a, a big time audience. It doesn't matter. Who are the two, three people in your life who you've cultivated a relationship with? Whether they, they're followers of Jesus or not. How, where, how, where have you been placed by God? Your workplace, with your coworkers, in your neighborhood, with your neighbor, where you have influence and sway? And ask yourself this question. Just maybe, just maybe, is this why, God, you have placed me here for such a time as this?
Think through your gifts, your talents, your academic skills, your life experience, and ask God, how can I even, if there's one or two people coming to your mind right now, I just encourage you to write that down or take a note and ask, how do I uh, continue to be a witness to Christ to these people? Simply put, we are not powerless because God is in control. And we are not powerless because God has a plan for us. In Esther's community, the moment she discovered that she needed to go talk to the king, what did she do? She, sat, she called Mordecai and told him, go, gather all the Jews who are here in Susa, in the capital, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night, and, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I love how Esther didn't go this alone. And God doesn't ask us to go this alone. He doesn't call us to be lone wolf warrior Christians for his glory. He invites us into a community to be a part of his work together. So if you're not part of a small group, I invite you to be part of a small group. I invite you to connect with us. And one way to practically journey together is this week we'll be beginning our prayer gatherings. They're going to be virtual prayer gatherings similar to last year at, on Wednesdays at noon and Wednesdays at 7.30. There'll be half-hour gatherings. You can come to either of the times and there'll be the same contact. But this will allow us as a church and in community to press into God. So if that's something you're interested in, feel free to sign up. You can hop on our website. For those at home, you can click the show more and there's a sign up link available for you to join our prayer times there. And all the information you need as well will be in the Tuesday prayer update. I invite you as a community to continue to press into Christ, to go deeper into Jesus because this is what will allow us to recognize how he's at work and pay attention to how he's preparing us for what is next in our life. Because when we understand and acknowledge that our God is sovereign, that our God is at work, and that he will use each and every one of us for his purposes and his glory, we will stand firm, we will stand strong, and we will proclaim the goodness of Christ until the day he returns. Amen? Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.